0: If you write articles or copy, or even work as an editor for a magazine, you're going to want to listen to this advert. Are you looking to save time writing online content? Well, Phosphor AI is an online service that will save you hours of work with your content creation. All you have to do is type in your title and their AI software will get to work writing a high quality original article just for you. You'll need to review the article and take 15 to 20 minutes to make necessary edits, but then the piece will be ready for publishing. Just for signing up, you'll get three free articles so you can try out Phosphor AI and see what it can do all for yourself. Why waste time writing online content yourself when you can get Phosphor AI to do it for you? Try out their service today and see just how much time you can save. That's Phosphor AI. Go to phosphorai.com. Um, so, uh, hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I have the pleasure to be joined all the way from Ukraine by John Sweeney, uh, author of Killer in the Kremlin, amongst other books, uh, host of um, Talking Sweeney, sorry, did you just say? Uh, Sweeney Talks. Sweeney Talks. <laughs> Sweeney never shuts <starts> up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, isn't that <laughs> what the, the, the best journalists do these days, that you, know, you have to be loud in order to get your point across, I think with the internet yeah um, that's true yeah so and also um reporter on the fantastic documentary with uh, byline tv uh compromat which i really really enjoyed actually give me a good excuse to sign up for byline tv and there's way more on there than than i realized so maybe i'll keep it um there's some some really interesting stuff on there looking forward to the brexit documentary a lot um so uh let's yeah start with with compromat um it was Incredible to me that this story, both incredible and totally believable, that this story has not been widely covered or that there's been very few questions actually asked of um, Evgeny Lebedev and and his father and his ownership of the Evening Standard and the Independent. What do you think he wants with them? Is it like a profit or is there something more sinister at, at work here?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Josh, um and we don't know the answer but it's an important question to ask and far too many people in the the mainstream media establishment etc have not had the wit to um to ask that question so for people who haven't um watched Compromat, and uh, it's on the um, byline tv website have a go i think it costs 2 quid to watch um which isn't which is less than the price of a coffee in london um what it looks at is the strange, funny, peculiar relationship between Boris Johnson and the Lebedevs. Now, the um, the one you may have heard more about is Yevgeny Lebedev, who is Baron Siberia, and there's um, the, there's a hint there in the name that something slightly amiss. So he's now a member of the House of Lords, which is still part of our Parliament, and. Mm-hmm. He's a lawmaker, therefore he has the power to to say what he wants and to vote whatever, whatever he wants. And what's interesting about him is not him. In fact, he's a he's more of a child than man. He once interviewed got an interview with President Lukashenko, the tyrant of Belarus, and um, the BBC. Um, he managed to get this sort of BBC went along and filmed it. And they sent um, a friend of mine, Natalia um, um, Antalova, who was was kind of reporting on Lebedev's reporting, a rather strange, peculiar thing. And at one point, Yevgeny Lebedev, the man who is now banned in Siberia, asks Lukashenko, what's his view on group sex? Which is weird and peculiar. Um, and, and, and you know, and even Lukashenko was, what? What are you talking about? So this is a very weird playboy. But his father, Alexander Lebedev, was a KGB spy in London from 1988 to 1992. And the Ukrainians say that the KGB is like Hotel California. You can check out any time you want, but you can never, ever leave. So, and, and by the way, Putin says this. Uh, the, um, the Russians call secret police, uh, the people who are in the KGB, new name, FSB, um, there are other um, organizations, but let's just call it the Russian secret police. And he uh, the, the nickname for them is the Cheka, which comes from the Extraordinary Commission, which is what Lenin's secret police was called back in 1917, the Cheka. And what Putin has said is once a Chekist always a Czechist. So you can't get a higher authority on the Russian secret police than Vladimir Putin. And therefore, that raises an enormous question about Alexander Lebedev. Now, let's remember that when Boris Johnson celebrated his December 2019 election victory, he did so at the House of Alexander Lebedev in London. And um, because it was Alexander's 60th birthday, So this is a very, very funny, peculiar relationship. After the Salisbury poisonings, Boris attended, Boris Johnson went to a NATO meeting in Brussels. And then somehow he ended up at Alexander Lebedev's Palazzo in Umbria in Italy. Gorgeous place, magnificent swimming pool, blah, 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 blah. And... This at the time, knowing what was inside NATO's collective mind about what response they would do to the Salisbury poisonings was probably the number one intelligence goal for the Russian secret state. And Boris goes and stays in a Palazzo, owned by a former KGB colonel. Hello? What's that about? It's, it's 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 very very concerning. Now, my friend Christopher Steele, who remember was the former MI6 um, officer who was in charge of what we call the Russia House, which is what they call the Russia House, or basically the part of MI6 that looks at at, at, uh, at Russia. He was in charge of it. Then he um, he left, and he set up as a um, um, as in corporate intelligence, doing reports on people doing due diligence. And he did a report on um, Donald Trump. Mm. And this is the famous Trump dossier. So Christopher Steele says that nobody with a proper degree of power has properly investigated um, another question, which is who paid for Brexit? Now, yes, uh, for example, uh, there has been some question marks about Britain's biggest political uh, donation ever. That's by Aaron Banks Mm -hmm. um, to essentially leave uh, the Leave campaign. And there's an awful lot of money, eight million pounds from Aaron Banks to the Leave campaign. There was a lot of reporting and I did quite a bit of it Mm -hmm. questioning where the money came from.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've quoted you in my first book because I covered this. Um, I wrote a book called Brexit: yes. The Establishment Civil War. So yeah,
1: what, what happened? I should look out for that book. Uh, what happened was that, um, that the elect- electoral commission investigated and the national crime agency investigated, mm-hmm. and they both cleared Aaron Banks and Aaron Banks's, um denied any um wrongdoing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're all clear about that. Um there is no story. But Christopher Steele says that neither the National Crime Agency or the Electoral Commission is competent to do this kind of investigation. I e you have to have the full resources of the National Security Agency, the the people in Cheltenham who who kind of the, um can um can can break um Enciphered emails, etc. Um, and MI5 and MI6, they're the people who can properly investigate this question who paid for Brexit, and that hasn't happened. Now, the reason it ha- hasn't happened is because the Conservative Party who are in power have not asked for it to happen. So the, question is, so, the question is not, did the Russian secret state help push the vote? for Brexit, as they did for Trump. We all know about that because the Americans have properly investigated it. The question in Britain is, who paid for Brexit? Did the Russian secret state help the Brexit campaign? And the answer to that question is, no according to the Electoral Commission and no according to the National Crime Agency, although that um, it's a very, very narrow investigation. And then Christopher Steele says, neither of these two bodies are up for that question. They're not good enough to answer it. It's a... It's a to do a proper investigation. And then you have a, 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 within that, you have the Lebedevs, father and the son, KGB spy and playboy. And Boris Johnson goes to their parties. Now, their parties are bunga bunga parties that so anything goes boys, girls, drugs. I'm not talking aspirin or paracetamol. The Lebedevs. Deny this. I'm I'm, I'm being uh, careful and I'm being fair. The Lebedevs deny this and they say that essentially people like me are Russophobic. I would reply that's entirely untrue. I love Russia. I love Russian literature, Russian drinking, Russian... Um, <laughs> Russia, and, and the whole thing. I've, I've been in love with it most of my adult life. There's a real problem now for people like me because... I do not think that the Russian opposition has been good enough in terms of standing up to the, the barbarity of the war. Obviously, someone i regard as a friend, um, Alexei Navalny, he's in prison. So is um, Vladimir um, Kurtz, um I've forgotten his, surname, uh, his full surname. Uh, I know he's been poisoned twice. He's in prison. Uh, Ilya Yashin, he's in prison. And the others... Who stood up to Putin, Anna sky, Natasha Estomarova, Boris Nemtsov. Poisoned, then shot, shot, shot. So I understand how difficult it is to protest, but nevertheless I'm upset about that that the other Russia I believe in has, has not has not stood up to Putin. So far, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So I would say to the Lebedevs, I'm not a Russophobe. That's foolish. But there is a question mark about their relationship with Boris Johnson, and that's something which uh, which which remains a question mark, and it's an unanswered question. The answer provided by the by the NCA and the Electoral Commission was partial, not complete. Mm.
0: And and what you're saying about um sort of the wealthiest um amongst us engaging in shall we say crazy parties to 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 be generous <laughs> um and uh using some of that material potentially for blackmail this isn't like a this isn't something that I haven't heard before so it, it definitely seems plausible but like just to to play devil's advocate like what what would the russian secret state have to benefit from the United Kingdom leaving the European Union, like, what is, what is, what is there like? Because I can understand, okay, maybe it divides Europe a bit, but if anything, I would say that that it seems to have united Europe, maybe against the United Kingdom in a sense, but uh, like Europe felt a lot more united on on the Brexit issue than than they had been on on a lot of other things. So, like, what is it that the Russian secret state you think are are, are trying to achieve here?
1: So, um, <clears throat> the Brexit is a tragedy for Europe, for all of Europe, for Britain too. And we're seeing now, uh, uh, the problem was that the economic numbers were masked by COVID. And therefore, the government, the Conservative government could blame COVID for for, um, for summer Brexit. Now that COVID's over, we can clearly see that the rest of Europe is doing very well. And it's getting back, uh, the economies are growing apart from Britain. And the reason Britain isn't growing is because of Brexit. So there, uh, for us, it's been an economic disaster. More and more people are seeing that. The problem is that politics is actually behind ordinary people's common common sense, and so that there is a kind of delay button at the moment, which is very frustrating. And in particular, Keir Starmer, I believe, has been foolish in 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 um, not addressing um, a, a Brexit in an honest way. And um, instead, what he's doing uh, clearly is um, he is trying to bury it as a political issue. I think that's foolish. But the bigger question is, when we were in Europe, and there was always a trouble, uh, there was always trouble from people like Farage, etc., etc. However, the big picture was that we were a great benefit, in particular, that we helped balance German power and German influence in Europe. Now, remember, Germany is the richest uh, economy by country mile, but it is also uh, politically still in shadow because of the legacy of Hitler. And therefore, it is, for example, over standing up to Russian fascism, it has been timid, and, and I think too much of an appeaser, to the fury of the Poles and the Lithuanians, the Latvians, um, the Estonians, the Czechs and the Slovaks and the Romanians and some Hungarians, because they, those peoples, know what it's like to live under the, 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 the fascist jackboots of the Soviet um, empire. Now, of course, the Soviet um, <clears throat> ideology was communist, True. But actually, if you look at it closely, from around about 1926, Russia became increasingly imperialistic and far more far right than far left, I would say. And I've written a book about this, Killer in the Kremlin, and uh, and I studied it at university a long time ago. Um, But essentially, Russia is, um, or the Soviet Union, was a Russian, became a Russian nationalist project. And those countries who lived under, uh, in the Warsaw, Pact countries who lived behind the Iron Curtain, hated it. And Britain, in the European Union, was a bloody good ally. And what happened was that Brexit meant we have left the the high councils of the European Union, and we have made the argument weaker, um, the the one we would be making right now if we were inside Europe. So um, it is a a plain and positive goal for the Kremlin to break up Europe. It's simple. If you have a big wolf who is going to attack a flock of sheep, if the sheep live singly and on their own, the wolf will eat the sheep. If the sheep stick together, then the community of sheep is actually stronger than the single wolf. And what's happened is we've left and we can get picked off. And then that makes our our earlier conversation um, even more troubling. Now that we've left, who does our British Prime Minister, the guy who, quotes got Brexit done, Boris Johnson, who's he pal around with? Hmm. A former KGB colonel and his son, Baron Siberia. Clues in the name.
0: Yeah. Like honestly, I don't get why the 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 more nationalistic elements of our press weren't say so. We've not we've like anointed Baron Siberia. Like really, you know you would you would have thought that the yeah the more nationalistic elements of our of our tabloid press would have been a tad more outraged by that.
1: Yeah, I would have
0: thought so. Mm. But,
1: um, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Money.
0: <laughs> Probably because they're they're at the same parties. <laughs> well,
1: they they wouldn't. Was, well, there were some people in the media. For example, Amal Rajan, who is he's a brilliant presenter. He's he's got a lovely voice. He's from Tooting. He's uh, a working class lad, made good. Good on him. But as a journalist, he's got no judgment. He ended up working for Yevgeny Lebedev. And so there's a problem. It's one of the reasons why nobody at the BBC, for example, has investigated this story properly is because it's embarrassing because one of the great stars of the Today programme, Amal Rajan, was at those parties with Boris Johnson. And, like, and, and, you know, and, and, and there is a series of issues about this. Um, is this good judgment? No. How can he ask questions about, for example, the Russian influence on, um, on, on Brexit, um, on, on British politics, if he was a beneficiary of, of, of the money of a Russian oligarch. Remember, that Alexander Lebedev has been um, um has been sanctioned by Canada, but not by Britain. So why have the, the Canadian and Canadian intelligence have have, have said now this man is a risk and we're going to um we're going to put sanctions on him but the british government is not a risk because boris parties with him hello that's bad logic If the canadians are worry about this man why aren't the british mm. it's not. and um you know i i the anomaly troubles me greatly
0: yeah i can see why um Anyway, uh, I also want to. Uh, I could sit and talk with you about about this all day, but I, I also want to talk about about the war and about about Kiev and and sort of Russia or Ukraine on the ground. So, uh, are you back in Kiev now?
1: Yeah.
0: So, like, what, what's what's the? I don't know. What's the feeling on the ground at the minute? So, um,
1: so Kiev is. I mean, this morning there were like thirteen drones, Shahid drones made by Iran fired at the city, and none of them has um, caused any harm to anybody here. Now, because the Ukrainians are getting better at uh, at their air defense, i have got some good kit from the Germans. Um, I think they're called Gepard. Hmm. They're basically um, um, big um, machine guns, uh, fancy machine guns, which knock these drones out of the sky they move quite slowly like about 150 miles an hour they're um they sound like um mopeds flying mopeds or doodlebugs right. and they've got a a pack of explosives in the nose very cheap to make and and you know dangerous now, so i'm in a city which was attacked and every single one of these drones was knocked out of the sky apart from one which hit a house, but the house was empty. Thank God, so nobody was harmed. Having said that, you know, I'm going to go, um, the restaurants are open, the bars are open, normal life goes on. You've got to leave the bar at 10 o'clock, curfew's at 11. You can't get a cab after that. So it's pretty n- neatly enforced by by that simple problem. Um, and there is a possibility that we all might get nuked and there's a possibility that a cruise missile might land on your head. I've always been skeptical about the nuclear threats. And the, the Chinese, because essentially the Russians are afraid of the Chinese, they want to keep the Chinese as onside as possible. And the Chinese are worried about their own economy, partly because they've mishandled COVID so badly, partly because um, the West is finally waking up to the economic and geopolitical challenge from China, yeah and therefore china is worried about its future and it knows that we in the west buy far more of their stuff than the russians do we Mm. buy trillions of dollars worth of, of chinese goods so that effectively on the nuclear issue china is on our side um so I don't think the nuclear threat is high. However, the threat of being hit by a cruise missile, I was here on October the 10th, and I, it was here in um, uh, when I arrived on my current trip in um, late November. I think they hit the city on the 23rd. And power went out uh, across the city, and when the power goes out, the water goes off, because you're, you're pumping water. Mm. And so um, that was a, a big problem too. And You cannot, um, you can never forget the possibility that you might die because of the Russian killing machine pointed this way. It's always there in every social interaction. But you know what? It makes life really quite fun. (laughs) Like, 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 hello, uh, let's have a drink. Oh, I should, oh, fuck it, let's have a drink. Because it's going to be the last one ever, you know. Like, yeah. And and when um, uh, I mean George Orwell wrote in Homage to Catalonia, I think mm. that um, in war it's possible to fall in love with somebody, uh, you know, four times in a day. And I think that's also true. So it gives a kind of an electricity and an excitement to life, which which I don't get when I'm back in London. Mm. That's true. Um, and there is also this real sense that Ukraine is like Britain in 1940, standing up to the Nazis, mm-hmm. or like London, like hanging out in Kiev is like hanging out in mm-hmm. London in 1940, uh, or um, going to, or, or being in West Berlin in 1961, where the East German communists put up the wall. Mm-hmm. You've got this sense of being inside the city, which really, really, really believes in democracy, i.e. because uh, people are fighting for it. People are losing their lives for democracy. People are, are losing their lives because they believe in the rule of law and they believe in an open society. They believe in all of our freedoms, but they're having to fight for it. Mm. And there's something noble and magnificent about that. Which is um, um, just—it's just gorgeous. So I do feel um, a real sense of um, of of commitment to this place, to my Ukrainian friends, who are also incredibly funny. So, like tonight, um, my pal Max is the guy who runs the Buena Vista. And like you know, is he a character? Boys, is he a character? During um, um, when the Russian army was twelve miles from the centre of Kiev, martial law was installed. No alcohol. Max opened the Buena Vista, <laughs> and at one point, the chief of police, Kiev, came to the Buena Vista and said, "Hey, Max, it's great that you're open." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can- and every now and then the police would raid And what would happen is they'd lock the front door and then you'd run out the back i mean fucking hell you know I'm like um and i you know i've done that and it's just like <laughs> that's crazy but but also kind of beautiful you know and um and the the uh, yes you know zelensky is uh, uh, he's he's not a comic he's a com- he's um a comedic actor hmm um but yeah he's funny but so is everybody else and 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 the um Ukrainian uh sense of irony it re- really really reminds me of of, of English irony of, of like the, the, every conversation has sort of multiple layers um this really is a deeply civilized city part of the tragedy and and the country part of the tragedy is that that Russia could be like this too. And there's a moment when Putin and the secret police take over again, back in 2000 or ninety nine, Putin's in charge. And Russia starts marching into the shadows, into its Stalinist past, starts going backwards. And at exactly the same time, Ukraine lurches uneasily and and unclumsily towards the future, towards an open society, towards democracy. Now you've had... Um, two elections where um, which have been clean and good And so you can feel Ukraine getting better and better and then suddenly there's this fucking awful war mm. but it feels beautiful to be here um, it does um, I mean I miss my family, I miss my kids my granddaughter, I'm going to go and see them um, as soon as I can but at the same time Right now, Kyiv is the most exciting city in the world um, to live in. Yeah, you know, and if the Russians... Uh, the other thing is, the uh, Josh, the odds are very much in our favor. So October the 10th, which was, they hit the city with, they hit Ukraine with 80 cruise missiles and 20 drones. And this is a swarm attack. So it's like um, space invaders or something like that, yeah? Um, there isn't a way that you can, um, um, that Ukrainian air defense can deal with this mass attack. 19 people were killed, but it's a city of something like, normally at peacetime there'd be 4 million, I think there's about maybe 3, 3 3.5 million people here now. So the odds of dying are actually very much in your favor, um, which is another calculation, you know, uh, in London, you can get run over by a
0: bus. Mm. Try really and avoid that. Although the yeah, the snow made it a bit hairier, sliding people. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> um, so th- this it's it's interesting that you say that you think the odds are are in your favor. Maybe as well as in the sense that there hasn't been like a massive amount of of casualties in in Kiev, um, comparative to the the size of the population, but. Uh, someone, someone I was speaking to about this, or a couple of people actually, I've spoken to about this. They're they're concerned that Ukraine will be left as like a smouldering shell, essentially. That the however much they can throw back at the Russians, um, as they have pushed them back, that Russia just have the the resources, and and even if they don't like defeat ukraine on the battlefield or like and push them back or or you know however this resolves um or ends that the 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 amount of outflow from from ukraine in in terms of like refugees and the damage caused to the infrastructure of the country will leave it like all but in inhabitable um if this continues so like like what would you say to to that sort of perspective
1: (laughs) I don't agree with that. Okay. Um, I, I don't agree with that. And um, and I, you know, I've spent more of this year here in Ukraine than I have in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, um, the spirit of the people here is incredibly strong, and that won't happen. When there is an attack, um, you'll be surprised how quickly they uh, they fix things. So they put. I'm I'm very close to the Taras Shevchenko uh, um, Park. They put a um, a cruise missile which made a massive crater. Uh, you could hide a London bus in it. Um, um, at a crossroads near the park, and they put another missile in the children's playground. Thank God, no kids were killed. In the children's playground attack, but the um the one of the traffic uh, killed a number of people, including a cancer doctor, who's I had a five-year-old kid who's now an orphan because her father died, I think, fighting in the war, and her mum was, was killed by a Russian cruise missile. Dear God. The Ukrainian authorities fixed the crater in the road that very day, and within within a, a week, uh, the um, the park was fixed. You wouldn't know. So there is a deliberate and very, very aggressive and magnificent policy of tidying stuff up very, very quickly. It's 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 very human and and the right thing to do. I, I remember after the awful Islamic State attack uh, on the Westminster Bridge, the bridge was open the very next day. Um, and and it's the same sim um, the same thinking and it's the same symbolism. We're going to fix this. We're going to do something about it. We're going to fix it. And that is um, beautiful, and 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 so therefore the spirit of people in Ukraine, who believe in their country and believe in their future, is is magnificent. And that is the central argument against that. I also think the and you know, it's absolutely true that at one point people used to think that Russia was the second strongest army in the world. It's now the second strongest army in Ukraine. So the the, the, the there is every reason for Ukrainians to feel fiercely proud of what they've achieved so far. And I'm an optimist. I mean, you know, have a look at my book, Killer in the Kremlin. But what I do is I set out the arguments why uh, Putin has made a terrible miscalculation. Um, Essentially, he has thrown Everything he's got, and he keeps on retreating and he keeps on losing people. Now, because he's effectively, because he is a fascist dictator, he doesn't care how many Russian lives are being lost in a stupid and brutal war. And the Ukrainians do care very much about their losses. However, having said that, having said that, I think it's absolutely true to say that that there is going to come a point where the Russians are going to run out of out of the heavy metal they've been throwing at the Ukrainians whilst the West is finally getting it. So today, for example, whatever it is, 13 drones fired at, at, at Kiev. not a single one hurt anyone. And the Americans are now giving the Patriot air defence system. They should have done this months and months ago. But I think what's happened is the anxieties about a nuclear strike from Putin have... have um, So diminished that the scaredy cats in the Pentagon and in the and in Westminster and, and in the Elysee and in the Chancellery in Berlin have now been shown to be foolish, and essentially the Chinese have said to the Russians, "No nukes," and therefore this is a very very winnable war. The moment the war is won, people. I recommend it. Everybody should come to Ukraine. They should spend their money here. Um, because these people are good and
0: fun, and there's something beautiful about it. Wow, well, love to visit. I've never been to Ukraine. Poland is the the furthest east I have been, and that was a couple of that was about a month ago. But that was beautiful. It really made me understand how people fall in love with Russia. Like just the I don't know what it was. It was the architecture and the snow and the like the crisp cold air and I don't know. There's something romantic about it.
1: Yeah, falling in love with Russia at the moment is, it feels wrong. Oh, uh, wow. Um,
0: but, <laughs> I mean, the, the
1: falling scenery. In Ukraine, falling in love with Ukraine. You know, it, it's even more, it's way more interesting than Poland. Anyway, I don't want to offend my Polish friends, uh, <laughs> but Ukraine is great.
0: Um, so as a, as a last question then, because I'm aware you've got, you've got a, a hop here, yeah. Um, In in Game of Thrones, uh, someone said of Littlefinger, um, I don't know if you've watched Game of Thrones, He said they said that he would burn the whole of King's Landing to the ground in order to be king of the ashes. To what extent do you think that statement applies to Putin?
1: I think it's true. Uh, His problem is that there are people around him who think that's stupid. So that Putin is a fragile monster, and I think um, he has cost Russia its good name for decades to come. He has cost Russia a fortune in treasure and money and a fortune in blood. And there will come a time when there is a reckoning where the people around him will look at him and go, you're a fool, and they will kill him. So the future for Putin is he leaves the Kremlin in a box. And I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later.
0: Well, that's that's quite a note, I think, to to finish things on. Um, I really, really want to thank you for your time. John, it's been, been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, is there anything you want to point people towards, um, to, like Twitter or books or, or anything?
1: Yeah, well, so if you go to uh, uh, Twitter, I'm at John Sweeney Raw, R-O-A-R. Um, I've got a Patreon account which you can see on my Twitter thing if you you can help me do what I do here because essentially I'm funded by my patrons and I've written two books, or two books published this year, Killer in the Kremlin and uh, Hunting Ghislaine which is about Ghislaine Maxwell which is a whole other thing Hmm. Josh, I've got to go, but thank you very much and um, as we say here Putin are Putin's (laughs) a (laughs) dickhead
0: Oh, that's quite quite the sign off, well thank you very much, Um, it's been a pleasure Cheers. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor. Hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.